This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? All right, everybody. We have got the flood guru, Mr. Chris Green, with us today. I wanted to get him on here to talk about all of the cool stuff that he's got going on uh, with the recent launch of his MGA right before COVID and everybody's agencies drying up and we can talk about his HubSpot renewal because he's getting hammered there. And I know that that's going to be coming up for me down the road and I'm going to look for tips and tricks on how to minimize costs. So what's up, Chris? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. Anytime. We, uh, we know who to talk to when it comes to flood insurance. So uh, why don't you give everybody a little bit of your background story, because our audience is probably a little different than uh, the, the other podcasts you've been on. All right. I've been in the insurance industry for about 10 years, got into it in 2009 uh, by accident. I have a master's degree in emergency management with a focus in flood, hazard mitigation, and hostage negotiation. And so, so I've been in about 10 years. I worked for captive companies for about seven, about five years and started my independent agency five years ago and then decided to jump full fledged in the flood about two years ago. And we're about 12 to 18 months down that journey right now, of strictly flooded insurance, flood education and flood consulting. So I never knew anything at all about the hostage negotiation thing. <laughs> I need to get Chris Voss on this podcast immediately and let you guys have a negotiate off. Just go out each other. I had to study biosecurity. I tell people, I said, look, I can show you how to kill somebody with an umbrella using ricin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a skill that doesn't really attract people to a party. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned all that different stuff. It just so happened the day I started my master's was the day that Hurricane Katrina hit. Mm. Interesting. Interesting timing. Yeah. So flood wasn't really the plan when I got my master's. I just wanted to be a local emergency manager for a EMA department. Well, it gives you a different skill set, though, right? I mean, I look at the things that I've been able to get done in my insurance career, and I can tie almost all of it back to being in operations, running grocery stores, right? Yep. So, I mean, true story, Chris and I worked for Winn-Dixie in Birmingham, Alabama, about ten miles, five to ten miles apart at the same time. Never knew each other. Huh which I'm really surprised about because I thought I was a legend in those circles, but <laughs> you know, apparently not. It's so funny, man. I'll never forget it when they came in and they gave me, so I walked into Winn-Dixie, not going to spare all the gory details. I walked in, they gave me an opportunity to either be an overnight stalker or I could work during the daytime in the dairy department, both full-time jobs. If I worked in the dairy during the day, it was $5 and 85 cents an hour. If I worked on the overnight stock crew, it was $6.35 an hour. I jumped all over the extra 50 cents an hour. And all these years later, I say, I did that for 20 bucks a week. <laughs> I was going to say, you look, over- like, you look like a dairy guy. I mean. Yeah, well, I actually prefer frozen <laughs> food, but whatever. <laughs> but, you know, we go. So the funny thing is, man, I, you know, you walk in and you actually can go from stocker to store manager in record time, if you're willing to bust your rear end and you've got any kind of a brain whatsoever, it was literally under two years. I had never worked in a grocery store. 
And the next thing you know, I'm getting promoted to store manager at 414 in Roebuck. And I'll never forget it. Gary Doss, who might even listen to this because he's connected to me on Facebook. He was our retail operations superintendent. And Gary comes in with my district manager, Mike Mulan, and he says, David, we decided we're going to give you this store because we don't think you can screw it up any worse than it already is. <laughs> so you learn how to run this one and we'll give you another one. So that's what I did, man. I went in and I learned all the pieces and parts of running that store. And we did a really good job. We increased sales. We increased profit. And the next thing you know, they put me down at 529 in Alabaster. And that was a that was a whole different animal, man. I'd, I'd go back to Roebuck any day of the week. I was in a I was in a bad neighborhood with good people. And I would trade that any day of the week. I started out at 475 an hour. Well, I mean, you, look, when we when I first started working, minimum wage was four dollars an hour or three three thirty five. I got four dollars an hour. And when I got when I got my raise to five dollars an hour, you would have thought I was a multimillionaire. <laughs> so here's the That's fun crazy. thing about when Dixie in college, um, I to pay off my wife's engagement ring my junior year. I went from working at Win Dixie at night to walking across the street, working at Hibbets during the day. And then rotating part time to a strawberry farm in Chelsea and basically rotating it back, working like 21 hours a day for like two and a half months the last summer before my senior year to make sure that it was paid off. Well, yeah, you were in Chelsea, right? Isn't that where you weren't you? Did you live there? I went to high school in Chelsea, but uh, my parents lived, I mean, they lived right there in 280 down in Inverness. Okay, so you were at Brook Island. Yeah, right across from it, Meadowbrook. But you were the Winn Dixie you were at, was it Brook Island or Chelsea? Yep, no, it was Brook Island. Wow. That's crazy. My yeah. buddy Brian Ferguson ran that. Who was your store manager? Robert Harlan. Okay. Yeah. I remember Robert. Yeah. That's too funny, man. Oh, the old Small grocery world. days. What can I tell you? You know, but I mean, it's, it's crazy because you look at that and people don't realize the kind of volume that those stores do. I mean, I was running for all practical purposes. I had total PL responsibility for a business that was doing between 15 and $20 million a year in revenue at 22 years old. Like, that's just nuts. And then when I went and w- started working with Super Target, we were doing over $100 million a year. So yeah, I mean, anyhow, you can learn a lot of lessons that way. And it's funny how we all sort of end up in insurance and didn't really anticipate coming here. Well, I think the question that's on everybody's mind is how many hostage negotiations have you conducted in the middle of a flood? <laughs> Well, you know, it, it was just a couple of classes I had to take. I was like, you know, I'm one minor short of it, so I might as well. That's wild. You know, because it's like, yeah, if I wanted to go in the military, but my wife's like, you know, I'm not going to be a military wife. I was like, well, I'm going to go work for FEMA. She's like, well, you, I don't want you being gone all the time as soon as you graduate. And so I had to look for a job. I worked for Enterprise at the time, and I stayed at Enterprise for about another three or four years until I kind of accidentally got in with Liberty Mutual. And then I was like, I'm just going to do this long enough so I can go work for a national catastrophe. Well, I grew up with a severe learning disability, created this Partners in Education program for Liberty that grew to like 12 states and enjoyed sales so much that I just stayed in it. Yeah, but your agency wasn't originally flood, right? I mean, you were doing pretty much, were you doing commercial and personal lines or just personal lines? Just personal lines. I've never done commercial day in my life until I got in the flood. Yeah, but you're doing you'll do commercial flood and stuff mm-hmm. now. Do you are you doing like regular flood, excess flood, and difference in conditions policies and all that? I'm actually not a big fan of excess flood. I it's very rare for me to recommend excess flood policy. Do you do DIC? Yeah, I mean we do it all. Uh, we have business income and all that. But what people don't realize is on excess, because with excess you may have to wait for your NFIP policy to be exhausted, which might be three, four, or five months, or you mm-hmm. could just go into a private policy where the claims process might be quicker. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I mean, we, listen, man, if we have flood requests, you know who I send them to. I'm not even going to fool with it. To me, it's one of those things like Adobe Premiere was, it would, I would literally have to make up my mind. I wanted to learn it. And then I would spend all, I would just go all out learning it and I would want to be good at it. But flood is just not something to me. There's too many opportunities for errors and omissions, man. And Mm -hmm. I'll never forget when I was going through, that's where you're at. Well, yeah, but I mean, when I was going through the CIC module for, I want to say it was person, it may have been the personal lines one. I, I'll never forget the guy that was the instructor was talking about the number one E and O claim that year 
was in North, the number one claims were in North Carolina for flood because snow had melted off the top of the mountains and it, it, it came down and flooded a bunch of areas that had no expectation whatsoever. And none of them had flood insurance. And, and I'm like, I'm out, man. I'm out. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to mess with this. Global warming. There's too many, too many things going on. So we were talking about your HubSpot renewal. You are like probably one of the biggest HubSpot HubSpot geeks that I know. Like as far as guys, I know enough about it to know that I'm going to hire a guy to do all of the stuff that you've done. And actually he's not even done remotely close to what you've done. I mean, that would be a very painful move for you, man. I have to believe. I how long would you think it would take for you if they don't HubSpot? You got to hook a brother up, man. If you anybody from HubSpot's listening to this, you're jacking this guy around. Quit screwing off, or I'm going to kill my contract with you too. Well, they don't realize it's like you know they don't realize how many people we push a HubSpot. I said, look, we have almost every product with you. Well, it's that, but I mean, you know, yeah, my bill's pretty good size too, and it's a little bit more than yours, but not much. And I've got to believe I've got way more people on it than what you do. So there's nothing equitable about that. No, it's in just my me mind, and the VA, that's it. That's crazy. But they still yeah. they they're still selling you ten seats because well, five that's seats. the minimum. Five, yeah, we, five seats you, is the minimum. So you have five seats on what sales or service? Both. Okay, that's what I have too. Then so it's five seats mm-hmm. on both is the minimum. Yeah, we have sales, service, and marketing, and I love the tool. I think it's awesome, man. But you know, I think that's a big problem with a lot of these software people. I've heard the same thing from other providers where they get you in and then all of a sudden you've been a loyal client of theirs for how long you do everything you can, pay your bills, use their product. You become a brand evangelist for them. You send other people to them and then they want to bend you over and give you the old Scroogey at renewal. And you need to tighten up HubSpot. It just doesn't, doesn't work for me, man. And I know there's people from HubSpot listening to this because I know who they are and I will find you. <laughs> What, what I tell them and by the, the way, I've got an umbrella and I've got rice in, <laughs> and I know the guy that can show me how to use it. So, well, like I told him, I said, "Look, I'm not your normal automation guy. Like the dry erase board behind me, everything's written out on every day." I said, "I can go and find gaps in your product in five minutes." And I said, "But I've been living with those gaps. But now with you shooting my price up, are those gaps still worth living with? When I could go build something for half the price, but do I want to take that headache and do that?" Yeah, they got to hook you up, man. I think if you tell them you're going to walk, they'll come around. Well, that's what I told them today. I was like, look, I'm, I mean, of course, probably going to have to walk. I said, because, you know, I'm paying for all these things with the, with the website inside. You're not giving me any support. I can go and get that support somewhere else. You know, I said, those are the kind of things, you know, we need. Yeah, and the problem is if they don't cut your price, mm-hmm. then you're still probably going to want to move your website at some point. And yeah. that's another that's another cost you're going to have to absorb. Then my service and my uh, reporting add-on is in a separate contract, and they don't want to put it into one contract. And so I still owe them like 300 bucks a month for that, so I may have to just write them a check for 2500 and say, see you later. So here's my question, man. You can take this thing from soup to nuts. Walk – Kyle's never heard this before, and neither has anybody else. Walk them through the automation that you've set up. If somebody goes to your website or one of your lenders goes to a website to request a quote, Explain that because it's mind-blowing that you built that yourself. All right. Someone goes to my website, request a quote. Let's say they come to my website from Charlotte, North Carolina. And the way, reason I know that is because of HubSpot reports an IP address. So when they go maybe to the first page, they're like, hey, thank you so much for you know visiting our website on flood insurance in Charlotte, North Carolina. You know, how can we answer those questions for you in Charlotte, North Carolina or other areas? So I'm using smart content to create a better relationship experience for them because of where they're coming from. But see, I have all these links also built out for all of our agent referral partners. So when they submit those links, whether they want us to deal directly with the customer or they want to, you know, deal with the customer a little bit, as soon as it comes in, it lets them know what's going on. It's redirecting the customer. If the customer's submitting the request to leave that agency or review, uh, thank you card is being mailed out to that client with that other agency's information on there to make them look like the rock star to help them build the relationship. And then all the way through the whole process, so if it's finalization, whatever, they're getting those emails. Let them know, hey, just want to let you know everything where your client's been taken care of. So you're you're talking about that from the MGA standpoint now, right? So if an, you're talking about an MGA, like the way we started it out was just our kind of a referral partner. And I call right. it an MGA. It's really more of a wholesaler. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I, I use those terms interchangeably. Maybe I shouldn't. But I mean, you know, that's crazy. So you're actually sending out thank you cards with the agency who referred the business to you with their information on it to look like it came from them. Yeah, our whole job is to make that agent look like the rock star to the client so that they have a client for life, which means we have a client for life. So how many agencies are you working with right now? About 200. That's a few. Yeah, most of them are State Farm and Allstate agencies um, because, you know, they can offer private flood insurance or they have to go directly through FEMA. And it's so time consuming, it takes away from their policy apps, which is what State Farm and Allstate's paying them on. So we work with a lot of them on that. So for the people out there that don't know the difference between private flood and, you know, NFIP, why don't you give them the rundown of what that looks like? Uh, Basically, the National Flood Insurance Program, which was created in 1968 as a result of all the flooding on the Mississippi. The whole goal was to give those properties that were flood prone, you know, coverage, make sure they could have coverage, which was great at the time. But probably 15, 20 years later, you know, about 15, 20 years ago, private really came to play a heavy player which is private flood insurance companies. They have different rules they have to follow by. Now, what's important to know is a lot of it's based on loan type. So if you have an FHA loan, you have to go through the National Flood Insurance Program. Any other loan type, you can go through the private market. But what's also important to understand is like I had a customer yesterday, another insurance agent that's being non-renewed in Nebraska. She had a claim. She's got a private policy, which is being non-renewed. You're generally not going to have that happen on a National Flood Insurance Program. So it's important to understand that. But also with private, you know, you might be able to get a $5 million policy. Well, you may only be able to get a $250,000 policy through the National Flood Insurance Program. Pricing can also be 30, 40, 50 percent less. Um, so those are just some of the big things. Also in commercial, being able to get business interruption coverage, which is a big thing right now because of COVID. Um, and that's probably the number one coverage we've always seen left off flood policies is, hey, if your apartment complex floods, you're going to go bankrupt because you got nothing on there for loss of rent. Mm-hmm. You're right. Let's just say you have 30 units, you're renting with $1,000 a month. That's 30 grand. I mean, you need a minimum of $180,000 in business interruption on this coverage to cover you for six months. And yeah, so it's interesting, man. I've never, I've never really understood why. Do you, I mean, do you know why they don't give business income on commercial flood policies? Well, national, just like the National Flood Insurance Program doesn't offer additional living expenses on a residential policy. Um, yeah, it, why? Just, it's, it's just not because they're not there to provide all these different coverages. The whole point of the National Flood Insurance Program is to make sure the customer has something. Right. You know, if they provide all those additional expenses, they literally would be broke, more broke than they are now. Yeah, I think it's crazy, though, man. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of um, reform there. I mean, I, granted, you get it in the private market, but I just... I'll be interested to see how parallels are drawn between what's going on with the pandemic and the fact that it's unilaterally excluded in most cases. And now all of a sudden the government's stepping in and saying, Hey, you know, we think we should go ahead and have the insurance companies pay for business income. What? I mean, (laughs) you know, that's like that, but, but would they do the same thing if there was severe flooding, would they come in and tell the flood companies that, Hey, by the way, you need to pay business income for this, even though it's not been asked for. And what blows my mind is the number of people that I've seen grumbling about it online that didn't even have business income on their policy. Yep. Like, what are you, what are you complaining <laughs> about? You, you, you didn't even buy the coverage regardless of what it ex- is excluded by it. So what are you griping about? That's just how people you know, are to complain about things. It's just like the NFIP 2.0 that was supposed to come out this year. They've delayed it one more year. It's going to bankrupt people in Texas, Louisiana, North Carolina, Florida, because the way they're changing things, where the closer you are to the water now, your rate's going to completely change. There's no longer going to be a preferred rated policy with the same rate across the board. I mean, you could have rates go up five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars based on proximity to the water. Huh? Wow, that's crazy. Look out, Key, look out, Key West. Seriously. Yeah, like there are like places like that. People are not going to be able to afford their house unless they just self-insure and have no mortgage. Yeah, that's the only way, right? I mean, I've I've seen the premiums that are down in the Keys, man, and it's sickening. That's one of the reasons why they lost so many people after the hurricane went through there a couple of years ago is because you had a bunch of people that were underinsured, right? They didn't you know, they weren't anywhere close to coinsurance, so they had the penalty there, but people who didn't have flood or had chosen to self-insure altogether and, you know, the articles that I read from Florida Trend and some of the different economic studies were saying that people were going to have to like 
move in with two or three roommates just to be able to live in a substandard place for all practical purposes. And they're working two and three jobs, which then it puts a strain on all of the people who are working in the hospitality industries. And tourism is what takes people to the Keys, tourism and fishing. You don't have people to staff the restaurants and the hotels and all of that. You got problems. It's just like the Cobra Zones down there, which are called the Coastal Barrier Relief Areas or Resources Act, which was put into place in 82 where you can't build in them. You can't even get a government loan on a property that was built after 1982 in those areas. So you can't even buy flood insurance, the National Flood Insurance Program. There's very few private companies that even offer it. Hmm. Wow. Good. Note, note to self when I'm ready to purchase real estate in Key West. <laughs> Yeah, that timeline's coming up, man. Yeah. I know it was supposed to happen this year. It's not there <laughs> yet. I had to, I had to author a book to try and bring in some revenue so that I can afford to move down there. <laughs> so I've been looking at buying a camper because my whole goal is all this stuff I'm doing across the country now is to take my family with it with me, so that my daughter can enjoy it and can experience it. My buddy Chris Cotton does that, man. If you haven't heard it, he did it. We did an episode with him. This guy turns around auto shops, right? So he goes yep. into auto services places. And like two or three years ago, he just said, screw it. I'm out. Sold his house, sold all of his stuff, bought a fifth wheel and they drive around. And he goes and visits his clients and takes his family with him everywhere he goes. Every time I look on his Facebook page, he's somewhere else. I announced him when he school came. teacher. So we'll probably do that during the summer times. Yeah. When he, when he uh, came on the show, I introduced him as the first homeless guest we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't live anywhere. Like he, he's literally a nomad all over the place. Like right now he's in New Mexico and he's running up the mountains from COVID. Like he just keeps moving further and further up in altitude to get away from it. It's it's he's, he's an interesting cat, man. He's got a pretty cool niche that he's running though. That's for sure. There's a guy named Kelsey Belcher that used to work for Infusionsoft and actually ran a podcast for a while. And he does episodes every now and then called get automated and he traveled the entire country the last year in a camper with his daughter and his wife. And he would host all these different podcasts with these guests across the country as he was doing it. It's pretty cool. Dude, I've been stuck in the house for the past two months with my wife. There's a 0% chance I would get in an RV for the entire year and drive around the country. <laughs> She's not got the type of um, – she doesn't have the type of voice for an RV. <laughs> no, based on my what God. I've Based on what I've witnessed. Screams constantly. She's probably downstairs so rolling right her eyes at me right now. I know she can yeah. hear me. I, I've gotten pretty lucky because my wife's watched my four-year-old pretty well. Uh, things worked out a lot better than I thought. And I'm still traveling a little bit throughout the state of Georgia. And then next week I'll hit the road again for Alabama and a couple other places. Yeah, but I mean, that's what makes your stuff so good, man. I mean, I want to talk about content. You like, you like drive eight hours to go to a flood and do a YouTube video. I drove two and a half hours last or two weeks ago to shoot on the oldest county built, county run, and county powered dam in the United States. That's that's nuts, man. So why do you do that? Like, what's the what's the logic? Well, my thing is this: when people see that landmark behind you, all of a sudden a barrier goes down, and they're like, you know what? That guy's in my neighborhood. He's answering my questions, and obviously he looks like he's shooting it locally. I feel that's somebody I can trust. Instead of made them seeing a green screen, nothing against people who use green screens. I just feel that people, you know, sometimes put a guard up when they see that. And they're, oh, this guy's just sitting in front of a green screen shooting videos. He's not, you know, he doesn't care. See, I was going to immediately say, why don't you just use a green screen and like a big Dyson fan to make it look like it's blowing you around the top of the dam or whatever. But no, I mean, I respect that, man. I remember when we were in San Diego, you went MIA because you had to go do a you had to go do a flood video right in the middle of innovation. I did. So I shot actually 20 videos when I was in San Diego. I drove out to Del Mar Beach, who had a flood elevation change of seven feet that we shot on everything out there. So I may not use all that content at one time. I might use it six months down the road. But while I'm there, I'm going to shoot all that content at least. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I think that a lot of people miss the boat on that stuff, right? Because I've, I push out quite a bit of content too. And for me, it's one of the reasons why I have that little Osmo pocket cam. I don't need to have the same um, detail and, and definition that you do with what you're shooting. It's just mm -hmm. my mug, and I'd prefer it to be fuzzy if possible. Um, so I just I whip that thing out, and I shoot, I shoot a video. As soon as I have an idea, boom, boom, and just knock them out one right after the other. And, I mean, I've even started using that 
when we do loss control visits at client properties. I can go around and take video footage and then create a video proposal. But instead of it being a video proposal, it's a a video loss control record that I send to my client and they can see everything I'm talking about in real time as opposed to a static report. And that's been pretty well received too. Yeah, my wife, if it gets onto me about a little bit, she's like, oh, we got a lake in our neighborhood. Why can't you shoot in front of that? And I was like, it's just different. I said, people see the landmarks. They see that you're local. It just, you know, and I said, that's where all of our leads come from half the time now. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool, man. So you made the decision. When was it you made the decision to get just ridiculous with content? Because ridiculous is probably not even a strong enough word for all the stuff you've pumped out. I'd say, uh, what are we in, 2020 now? Probably October 2018. And I was like, you know, I'm going to commit to a year of video. And dude, I thought I was going to get 10 days down the road and run out of content. You know, next week I'm shooting my 500th video in 500 days. Wow. And I'm publishing my 200th podcast. And then I've also got the blogs that we have going as well. And so my goal is to get to 1,000 videos in 1,000 days. So when you do your – let me ask you this. When you do your blogs, how are you do? are you doing it around the same content that you're doing with your video? How do you set that up? I, I'll be truthful. I haven't gone and looked. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll take the podcast and the video. Maybe they're kind of general about a subject about, hey, what's the difference between the National Flood Insurance Program and private flood insurance? Then the blog would be, hey, what's the difference between the National Flood Insurance Program and private flood insurance in Huntsville, Alabama? And so then I'm localizing the blog. And so Google gotcha. CNN. And, and, you're, but, and you're doing that too because of the smart, uh, the smart content with HubSpot because HubSpot will – recognize the IP address and populate that, right? Yep. And then we can throw that information or understanding elevation certificates. I might do a video on that for 50 different states and just store the video. So if someone goes to our website, they see it. But what does your production process look like? So you go, you do the video, walk me through that, and then walk me through what you're doing with the blog too, because I have really been pushing a lot of video content right now. And the reason why is more or less because it's easy for me to do I've either got my DJ Osmo in my pocket or I've got my uh, cell phone and I can capture all that stuff. So originally I started out doing it as just a reminder of things I needed to talk about or wanted to talk about and would eventually write a blog post on. But if I can get the video content out now, I'm doing good. And then I realized, you know, when I'm I talked to Hanley, Ryan Hanley, probably two, two times a day, most days of the week, we go back and forth and um did you catch you know, that guy? No, not at all. What he did where we're did at. do. Yeah, one of the one of the things he did show me was a website called Rev. Do you use Rev for anything? I have used Rev. Rev.com was really beneficial for me when I first started. So what it did is it transcribed a lot of my audios just into a text version. And those are some of the things I've learned from Ryan Hanley. Ryan Hanley is actually one of my biggest mentors. He's one of the reasons why our uh, content is where it's at. It's really three reasons. It's Nicholas Ayers, Made You Look Coarse. It's really the mentorship of Ryan Hanley and a book called They Ask You Answer by Marcus Sheridan. Using those three, three the- things have built a national brand for us in about 14 months, spending very little money. So I'm going to tell you what, man. I got a real wake-up call with Rev this morning because I finally made the decision, okay, I've been shooting all these videos the book is launched. We're about done and getting ready to launch that website. So now I need to find something else to occupy my time. I got to get evergreen content that I've been producing up on the Florida Risk website. So I went in and I also have a blog on Killing Commercial and I need to get content there. So I went into the folders where I've been storing all the video for both of those and I uploaded everything into Rev and for $200, I got back like 55 written blog posts. And now all I got to do, I'll probably paste it into Hemingway, paste it into Grammarly, make sure everything's good, embed the video into the blog post, add some headings and I'm done. But I can churn 10, 12 blog posts in a day without killing myself very, very easily, really. And I mean, that's one of the things Ryan's been doing, I know, because that's, I mean, he's putting content out like crazy. Like I was joking with him the other day. I'm like, dude, when are you going to start dropping some content? This guy, I saw that. <laughs> this guy has been going nuts. Well, which, remember, you he's also to... the original content king, man. I mean, he wrote Content Warfare. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the whole thing, man. You've got to, you've got to do that right now, right? Like I told him all the time. I tell him all the time. You pick the exact wrong time to launch an agency. 
Yeah. But it's absolutely the best time for you to have launched an agency because now you can use all of the skill sets you've developed in everything outside of commercial insurance production for all these years to set yourself up and stack the deck in your favor when all this stuff's over. He's he's building SEO and everything while everybody else is griping about COVID or they're spending all their time talking about COVID. And in my opinion, that's going to be irrelevant in six months, man. And Hanley's going to be sitting there on top of the mountain because he is, I mean, you never know. Like you never know what you're going to get from him the next day. One day it's workers comp, then it's cyber, then it's why you need to have an umbrella, then it's your, your homeowners and personal auto and then vehicle fleet insurance. I mean, he is literally hitting everything, but that's, that's the way you do it. And I mean, now that I have the ability to do all of my own editing and things like that, I've decided to start doing as much as I can because I can record. And then in the evenings, once the kids go down, if I'm not ready to go to bed or whatever, I can knock out a bunch of that. The other one that I started using, I had been using Splashio because you can send your video to them and they'll tidy it up nice and neat with transcriptions. And then Ryan introduced me to Clipscribe. Well, for like $97 for the whole year, I can do the same thing Splashio did, but I can control how quickly. So with Splashio, I would have to go and send it to them. And then 24 hours later, they'd send me the finished file back. I could shoot a video right now. And as long as I wanted to work on it, I could have a fully edited video with all the transcriptions in it in a matter of 20 minutes because of Clipscribe. I do it all in-house at this point. See, and I used Rev.com a lot, but what happened is only a two or three minute video, you didn't really get that many words out of it. So instead, what I want to do is just throw the video in the middle of a blog and just write kind of write the blog on my own. Some of that has to do with the way the rules for blogging have changed too, right? They used to tell you 350 to 500 words. Now they want them to be over a thousand words each. Yeah, and I still try to stay. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Most of my blogs are around 500 words. They need to yeah. be. And I learned that with Marcus Sheridan. He says, look, it don't matter if it's 20,000 words or 1,000 words. Use as many words as it takes to get your point across. Well, and the thing is, you're going to lose people. Because yeah. I don't know you very are. many people that want – I don't know very many people that want to read 1,000 words of flooded <laughs> Now, if you – now, if you opened up with "I could kill you with my umbrella," <laughs> I'm probably going to keep reading. Well, you know what? That goes actually goes back to something else I learned from Marcus Sheridan, which is storytelling. That has completely changed our blogs. I wrote a blog a couple weeks ago on strawberries, fairy tales, and elevation certificate second opinions. And what I was talking about, I was sitting here reviewing this elevation certificate, COVID nineteen. My daughter's sitting in my lap, and I'm reading a classic fairy tale to her while I just put my first strawberry cobbler in the oven. But people like people want to get to know you through those blogs. Oh, they do. Like I wrote one of growing up with a learning disability that just took off. Like Agency Nation published it, a bunch of other people um, about how our company was created by two educators long before I came along. Yeah, well, I mean, they needed to, right? They all needed to publish it because it was a good, it was a good post and it was a good story. Yeah, and so people that you know, people want to get to know you through those blogs. They, you know, that's why I tell people like my nephew, but I'm trying to teach him too is. I was like, look, stop writing blogs. Instead, I want you to use a microphone because I want you to speak to your audience. I don't want you to write at your audience, and they can see the difference. That's a good point. No, I agree with you. So what's the craziest flood claim you've ever seen? You know what? This is going to sound crazy, but I have only had three flood claims yeah? in the life of my agency. Let's hear them. I'd love to hear about them. But none of them have really been crazy. Now, I do have ah, one right mind, now, man. but it's not really a flood claim. But <laughs> we, his own retaining wall basically flooded out his house, but he doesn't have flood insurance, which he wouldn't have covered it anyway because he created the own disaster. <laughs> because he tried to block off his neighbor's runoff with, his, with a retaining wall, and when he did it, it crumbled, and water came rushing in one of his structures, and his home insurance declined it. Well, flood insurance declined it as well because more than two properties weren't impacted or two acres wasn't flooded. It was just something he kind of accidentally created on his own. Jeez. Now, I do have a, a lady that uh, out in Utah, place never floods. She's about 75 years old. Evidently, she's been in a high-risk flood zone for 30 years and had no idea because she didn't have a mortgage. We set up her with a policy. Six months later, I get a call from her daughter that her entire house had flooded. Wow. But she didn't know she was in a high-risk flood zone. Then we put one of our videos together explaining to her what exactly her flood zone meant. And she says, like, it's the best money I ever spent. Interesting. You know, it's it's interesting, man, because I think that people 
are under the impression that you have to spend a lot of money on ads, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether whether it be video through YouTube or you know going through and doing Facebook Im- impression based ads or retargeting or whatever else, I'll be honest with you. Some of the best accounts I've ever written that have come from some sort of social media post, blog post, or otherwise have not been paid. Like I don't, I'm not paying a dime for that. You know, I wrote an account that was four hundred and some thousand dollars in premium that was derived from a guy who read a blog post on the workers' compensation experience modifier. And it was long and it was boring, but my voice message went like this. Hi, David. Um, I've read your blog post on the workers' compensation experience modifier. It's obvious you know what you're talking about, and I would like to hire you. I just need to know how much you cost and how quickly you can get to Atlanta. (laughs) But you know what, though? That's I had an agent that bashed me. So this guy doesn't know what he's talking about and all this. And the customer went back to the agent and said, hey, you know, he's put all this content, all this stuff out. What do you have? He said, well, I don't really have anything. She goes, well, I'm going to trust the expert that has the content. And obviously <laughs> you're not the expert and this person is because I refuse to bash them. And I just tell people, so look, check out our content. If you've got questions, let me know. I let the content speak for itself. But the content builds an authority for you. But you've got to be pushing out like crazy. But you can't just push content out to push content out. It's got to be quality, you know. It's got to be answering those questions, which is answer the public helps with too. But, you know, basically what our goal was, my goal was, is I want to basically be able to read people's minds. I want every flood question to be answered before they ask it, and I want them to feel like, hey, man, this guy knows exactly where I'm coming from. What's the? Well, I mean that that's the whole thing, man, right? Because that goes back to Marcus's book. But everybody gripes about not understanding how to put together a content strategy, not having time to do this, not having time to do that. If you made it a commitment to every time, and this is for people that are doing commercial or business to business sales, regardless of whatever it is, it doesn't even, or it could be personal. Whether you leave a meeting or a phone call, you should think about how that went and immediately write down, what are the questions that I answered during that phone call? What are the questions that I, that were, that I answered or were asked during that meeting? Because it might be things that we know that are second nature to us. But guess what? Everybody else doesn't know stuff at that level. Like if I need, if I have a question about flood insurance and I send Chris a message on Facebook and he doesn't get back to me right away, I'm going to go to Google and type it in. Or I'm going to go to his YouTube channel and look for the answer. And I think that, you know, people don't realize the power of that, right? Like if you answer these questions just because you know the answer – doesn't mean everybody else does. They're going to be looking for those answers and they're going to be looking for those answers online. And it's a content race at that point. The better, the more you can have out, the better anchor text, the better keywords, the more optimized your posts are, the alt tags and all of the other things that go into that, that stuff matters, man. And I mean, that's where agents who understand what that looks like, because truthfully, I'll tell you what the other agent had that was bashing you. They had a magnet that attached to the side of their refrigerator that looked like a calendar. That's it. That's what they were going to fight them with. They send it every year. Here's our annual calendar. Here's a, here's a, uh, here's a pen. You know, that that's what they have. They have crap that they give out. They don't have that deep of knowledge. When you start getting into niche stuff, they don't want to admit that they want to, they want to try and compete. And if you go deep, they can't compete with you. It's impossible. There, there's mm-hmm. probably a handful of people nationwide that truthfully, if we were to get up and we were to stage a flood insurance debate, there's like four other people maybe nationwide that should be on the stage with you, right? Yeah. And three of them I'm good friends with. <laughs> yeah. What's your flood frat? Flood you know insurance I mean? debate would be awesome. <laughs> no, I have yeah. some I good friends. Get, I need to get Will Ferrell in there. Florida, actually called, yeah, Flood Talks. Catherine Howington down in Florida, man, she used to work for bankers and mm-hmm. she's really good. Yeah. You do. You yeah, my phone right here. Every time I get asked a question, the first thing I do is I go to my phone, I put it in there. And like, as soon as we get done with this podcast today, I'm headed to shoot 15 videos. Now I may not shoot, I may not use all 15 of those videos, but basically it's more like rapid fire. And so what happens, whatever I decide to use, or I'll pull pieces out. And then I'm um, going to shoot about an hour and a half away. My brother and sister-in-law were down at the state park, and it just looks like an awesome place to shoot. So I'm going to go down there and shoot this afternoon. It's funny, man, because people ask me, like, are you ever worried about how you're, if you're going to run out of content? Where do you come up with this crap? And I'm like, yeah. I literally take my cell phone and talk into it. That's it. 
Like I, I literally just have an idea. I get up, I record it on video. Is it ever perfect? No, probably not. There's going to be things that, you know, I stumble when I say or whatever else, but I produce it anyhow. It doesn't matter. Yep. It's, what, what matters is getting it out. There's also a database where I search every single newspaper in the U.S. for flood issues in those areas before I shoot in those areas. That's pretty cool. That's good move. Yeah. And then, of course, I get a list of every single flood map update across the country, and I shoot on all those as well. So what's the travel schedule look like? I know you said you're going to be leaving here, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But, I mean, you were gone. God, how many miles did you drive last year? Two. It was insane. I just bought a truck this year. Uh, my travel schedule. Oh, I know. I watched right it. I watched <laughs> you buy the truck, and then I watched you get hit by somebody almost immediately. But my travel schedule is just over the probably Alabama and Tennessee right now until things clear up because I need to make about five trips to Ohio. Uh, but I'm really thinking about buying a camper in the next maybe few weeks and actually heading out to Arizona this summer to do all of our Arizona content, but taking my entire family with me. My brother lives down in Tampa, so I'm looking at shooting down to Tampa for like two weeks, sometimes this summer, to do all of our Florida content during hurricane season. There you go. I'll make sure that I have the Instapot out and the ribs thawed out <laughs> in the freezer, man. They're saying hurricane season is supposed to be pretty bad this year. Not looking forward to you that. You know, the years they say that, well, the years they say that, they're usually off. Well, last year was pretty mild, all things considered. Yeah. Um, so who knows? I mean, who, who knows how they even figure that stuff out? Right. They don't. It's a total coin toss. Have you seen the stuff where they like these conspiracy theorists talk about the government seeding clouds and all of that other stuff? I mean, yeah. just out of curiosity, have you ever followed any of that? Like, I got I went down that rabbit hole uh, one night and was lost. I was- for I a long some, time, like they, I they, saw some video the other day on like you know Facebook or Instagram where this guy had a battery and a a glass of salt water and put the battery in the salt water and it created like this you know crazy whirlpool tornado looking thing and one of like the caption was <laughs> something about the government creating storms and I was just like, dude, <laughs> come on. Have you seen the Facebook group about the world is flat? I. No. no, and it's all it is is people in there who believe the world is flat. Is it's, Kyrie it's Irving the president of the of the chapter? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's I'm probably like, too busy crazy. spending my time. I'm probably too busy spending my time in the Colorado Big Game Trophy Wook Hunters <laughs> uh, thing, where they follow around all the people who go to the music festivals. It's absolutely pointless to be in there, but somebody added me, and now I can't stop looking at it. It's like a train wreck. I got into a Blackstone Gorilla group and I can't get out of it now. Like I've just sucked in. There's like 70,000 people in there. <laughs> so you jacked up your pancakes with the Blackstone. I did, but I came back strong yesterday and fixed them. Yeah. What was, so what's the, I mean, so we're in the process. We've got phase one of our back areas done. Phase two is getting ready to start. Phase three will probably be in the fall. And I am hell bent on getting a flat top cooking service for the sole reason of perfecting my teppanyaki game in my backyard. Like I'm going to do, hibachi. you know, the egg. Yeah, I am. I'm going to do the hibachi with the, you know, the egg roll and the volcano and the choo-choo train and all of that. And I told my wife, if I put a hammock in this thing, I may never come back in the house again by the time our back is done. One of my favorite lines they I always say, do I, is. I bought the, uh, I bought the griddle last week and I love it. I love the- now. I burnt half of what I cooked the first week on it because I'm still learning the heat. But it's like you almost do everything on low heat on the thing. Yeah. My favorite line at Kobe's is the uh, is when the when the guy takes the soy sauce and goes uh, low sodium and high sodium and puts it all the way up <laughs> to like the the top of the vent. Hilarious. We went to Wasabi out in Plant City, and that guy actually had a squirt bottle full of sake that he would squirt across like diagonal across the thing and hit you in the mouth with it. Nice. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, it was seems seems sanitary. And safe, you know, but <laughs> let me just shoot you in whatever. the face with this sake bottle. Good luck. Yeah, it's crazy. So what do you think, Chris? I mean, what do you what do you see happening in in flood in the in the next little bit? Do you think the government's going to be able to keep NFIP in place? Oh, uh- well, I think they're going to keep it in place at some point, but I think they're going to loosen up a lot of their restrictions where they're really going to have to let more private reinsurers to come in to survive, which is what they've done now is they're selling a lot of it to private reinsurers to help back NFIP. But I think what's going to happen, especially with FHA, FHA has been up in the air so much, 
they're going to have to finally make a decision. Hey, are we going to allow private or not? But what happens is actually private's doing a better job of determining the risk of the national flood insurance program is because by the time a map gets released, it might be five years out of date. Man, a private company can tell you instantly what the update is because of the technology they're using. And so it's really important to see how those private companies work with NFIP to push NFIP along when it comes to technology, which is what NFIP 2.0 is going to be is, hey, we're no longer going to base this thing on a whole parcel. We're actually going to tell you what the risk is based on the structure, which is what everybody wants. Hmm. What's the most important thing people need to know about flood insurance? That it's not expensive most of the time. Fair. Yeah, I think the other thing too, Chris, and you can correct me on live air in front of everybody listening, but the fact of the matter is that you don't, just because you don't live in a flood zone doesn't mean you shouldn't buy flood insurance. You said the magical words, uh, everybody lives in a flood zone. Yeah, understood. But most people don't realize that, right? No, like I tell them, I say, look, it just no matter how long it takes the water to get to you. So so let me ask you this. Here's a question for a a hypothetical claim scenario in Florida. Say we get a ton of rain, and as a result of that rain, my swimming pool fills up, overflows, and eventually intrudes my house. Okay. Which policy responds to that? Uh, more than likely, flood's not going to cover unless the two could, one of the two conditions was met. More than two properties are impacted or more than two acres is flooded. Those are the two, one of the two conditions that has to play out, I'd say, 99% of the time, 100% of the time, really, for the National Flood Insurance Program, and 99% of the time for private flood. Hmm. So is that considered water so damage under homeowners? Your pool, no, I mean, I'd see, I, would, I don't know about that. I don't think so because water would enter from outside the home. Right. Which I've had this debate multiple times with multiple people and nobody can ever tell me if it's ever going to be covered by anything or how you would insure it if you tried. Yeah, I mean, there's um, not a whole lot. I said, of course, you can do there unless your pool also floods your neighbor's house. Then you're talking about a different situation. There's a 100 percent chance that if my pool flooded my house, I would make sure that it also (laughs) flooded my neighbor's house. Uh, uh, uh. Well, listen, man, I know you're trying to build out your referral network. I know you're working with other agents outside. I mean, you're working with independents too. And I think that the reception to that, when I saw that you originally announced it was really, really good. So if there's other agents on here and you don't do flood or you don't want to do flood or you do flood, maybe you shouldn't be because you really don't know what you're talking about, which is probably a lot of them. How do they get a hold of you? Go to our website, floodinsuranceguru.com. Um, you can also give me a call. I'll even give you my cell phone number, which is 205-440-7910. You can also find me on Facebook, Flood Insurance Guru or Chris Green. Now, my friends are normally maxed out, unfortunately, at 5,000. Um, or you can even find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, that you had to cut your sister-in-law from your friends list so that you could add somebody else at one point, didn't you? Yeah, I joke with her, though. I said, you know, I had to keep people in my life that bring me value. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. My That's awesome, man. My wife didn't think that was very funny. <laughs> so if there's one thing everybody needs to know about Chris Green, what is it besides the fact that, you know, it, his name is next to flood in the dictionary? Uh, what I tell people, I, I, was like, uh, I think I'm a spitting image of overcoming an objection. You know, that's my whole thing. I'm a big advocate for kids with learning disabilities. Uh, for that reason, like my nephew asked me the other day, you know, why do you work so hard? And I said, because it was beat into me as a kid. I had to work three times as hard because of my disability just to get in a playing ground, the same playing field. And I said, I still have that same mindset. It's awesome. But I I'll agree. tell agents this when it comes to flood. I said, the thing, you know, if you're not sure on something, reach out to us because it's like you said, it's the number one thing that ENO claims come from. Or I hear agents tell people all the time, flood insurance is not available in your area because you're not in a flood zone. You just create an ENO issue. Yeah, it, it, like I said, man, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding there. A lot of people don't want to learn it. A lot of people, you know, for whatever the reason is. So it's good that you're meeting that need for the agents and the agencies. And it's good that you're meeting that need for the people out there that need somebody that, that can be a resource. And I mean, 
I don't know. The last time I heard your content strategy, it was something like a thousand pieces of content in a thousand days. Is that is that what I heard? No, it was a thousand pieces of flood education content this year. We're off a little bit, but the only part that I'm off on right now is the blogs, which should catch up because I've had the podcast every day. I've had the video every day. I've got catch up on our blogs and it should put us pretty close to a thousand pieces of flood education content this year. It's a lot of flood. That is a lot. <laughs> that is a lot of flood education. Good grief. Well, listen, man, I'm going to wrap up. I appreciate yep. you coming on and ch- chatting with us. It's always a good time to talk to you and see you. Like I said, when you come down to Tampa, I'll have the Instapot ready. I won't even <laughs> put the ri- I won't even put ribs on the bi- uh, big green egg. I'll make them in the Instapot for you. <laughs> Since I know that's your preference. <laughs> All right, brother. We're going to let you ride. Kyle, right. you have any other questions for Chris before I don't, we, we wrap up? I don't, up? man. That was, that was fun. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. All right, brother. Hey, let me tell you, agents, real quick this, too. Always remember, you're a marketer first. You're an insurance agent second. Hey, no, time. You can't just say that and leave because I'm going to say the same thing. That Listen, I've been beating this into people's head. I, I have this conversation all the time. And I did a video on it a couple of weeks ago, but one of the biggest things that I think agents do is to, to 100% to your point, everybody runs their business like they're an insurance agency. And they don't understand that until you physically sell a policy and you have work required to issue, administer, and all of that, you're not an insurance agency. You're a sales organization, 100%. And when people argue with me about why I don't need HubSpot or whatever else, my first thing is... How many Fortune 500 high-power sales teams do you know that are using an agency management system to run their sales operation? Not a single one of them because it's not there. You have to have a CRM. You have to have the ability to do that. And it just, it blows my mind. And I think that until agencies figure out that they're a sales organization first, and then they become an agency, and that for the time being, you have to have two different things, right? You can't you can't run it off an AMS and you can't run it off of a, a CRM. You have to have we at least we do. You might be able to with what you're doing, but we have to have Hawksoft in addition to HubSpot until somebody figures out how to make all that stuff integrate and they actually are willing to. Because I don't believe that they're not capable of doing it right now. They just don't want to. Yep. And so I think that you know that brings up a good point. And with that, it's a wrap, man. We'll have you back once we see what hurricane season looks like. I want to get your recap on the the different floods and stuff once you bring the camper back to this side of the country. (laughs) I'll try. All right, brother. Have a good day. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.